Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Lapse Factor Podcast. What is up, College Lacrosse fans? You're watching episode 202 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today, once again, as always, on Sunday mornings, we've got a boatload of lacrosse to talk about. We're going to talk about Thursday's heartbreak for me uh, and the Albany-Syracuse game. We're going to talk about RIT and Union D3 action will be our second game that we'll talk about here today. Uh, UVA and UNC, Jacksonville, Richmond. We had a bunch of good games. Over the weekend, a bunch of Ivy League games that panned out in weird ways. Some Big Ten, not any surprises or anything like that. We have some big games on the slate for today. Before I get into this, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell if you are a YouTube watcher. If you're an audio listener, wherever you listen to the podcast, be sure to just share this with your friends. That's the main thing we ask. But as always, you can go to laxfactor.com. We have t-shirts, hats, all sorts of crap, coffee mug. Here's the Lax Factor podcast t-shirt. And then we even have a coffee mug. Boom. Right there, you can get yourself some coffee. I Actually, I didn't even realize I had all these coffee mugs on here, but that's the, that's the best-selling coffee mug or whatnot. So you can support us that way, but I digress. Let us dive into my heartbreak from Thursday. We're going to talk about Syracuse at Albany. Now, with this loss, Syracuse pretty much nuked their chances of making the postseason Thursday night. They lose to the Danes by two goals. In this game, Will Ramos, he made his season debut in cage for Albany. Uh, came up big, 15 saves, and he frustrated the Cuse shooters all day long. Uh, he was one save off of his career best 16 saves versus Vermont last year in the America East tournament. So Ramos had a hell of a day. Graydon Hogg, he was good for four goals off eight shots. His biggest coming with 10-23 left in the fourth to get Albany back to two goals up after Syracuse got back to within a goal. And that was kind of the story. Syracuse went down, you know, second quarter or so. It was pretty much all bad for Syracuse. And every time they'd kind of get back to within a goal or two, Albany would manage to come up with a goal of their own. They, they answered the bell every time Syracuse rang it. Freshman Thomas Decker, he put up three goals and a helper in the game. For Albany, they played incredible on-ball defense. Syracuse, they took a lot of shots, but it, they, they didn't manifest into anything good for the most part. Albany played good defense. Syracuse, other than Tucker Dordovic, barely anyone was able to get steps. Now, I will say Syracuse was banged up. They were missing um, a couple of midfielders as all season long. They've obviously been missing their their best attackman. Uh, Tucker Dordovic, he was able to get separation, but he was really the only one. And then Brendan Curry looked very banged up at times, barely holding his arm up. So he was going to the cage with legitimately what looked like one arm. So Syracuse is banged up, but it's still no excuse. Albany was able to to play, and I mean Syracuse's overall you know roster is probably still better, but Albany was much better on this day. But that that on ball defense, they did a great job. They played well off ball. Albany was also uh, able to generate transition goals while making sure that Syracuse didn't. They had a, a long pole that scored two goals on the day for Syracuse. The defense they continued to struggle. 
they looked rough, but really it was offensively. There was just boneheaded turnovers, many of them unforced. Once again, plagued them all game long. 21 turnovers on the day. That's really the key here in Albany's victory. Six of those turnovers were forced by Albany. The rest of them were what you would, in essence, call unforced turnovers, just stupidly throwing the ball away. Even some of the the turnovers that Albany was credited with getting the turnover was a Syracuse guy just throwing the ball right to, I think it was Curry had one at the top of the box on a man up, which has been a, a problem for Syracuse. I used to feel like when the Giants punted, or or let's say in, in football, when the Giants would receive punts, that was almost worse than any other situation in the games because they would turn the ball over all the time on punt situations. And uh, it's like that with Syracuse with their man up. You almost don't even feel good about Syracuse getting a man up opportunity. They they have looked so bad in their man up offense. Now, despite out shooting Albany 52 to 30, only 27 of those shots were on cage. That's a terrible display overall. So uh, they outshot Albany badly. Albany only put on uh, put 30 shots uh, uh, up overall. So Syracuse outshot Albany 52 to 30, but Albany put 25 of theirs on cage and a bunch of them went in. In fact, if you looked at the, the team stats here, which we can kind of look at, you would assume Syracuse won this game. If you didn't know what the score was, Syracuse outshot Albany 52 to 30. That's a blemish, but they still had two more shots on cage and Albany did the saves. Yeah, that's the one stat that kind of goes Albany's way. Both teams turned the ball over 21 times, which is bad. Both teams cleared the ball pretty well. Syracuse outground balled them. They won the faceoff battle and Albany had a two goal edge and man up. So overall you would say it was a close game, but you'd almost think just by that stat line that Syracuse won this game. Not so Albany did. Uh, so, I mean, this is, this is in the end, a failure of Syracuse's best players to get the job done. You look at Brendan Curry here. Now, like I said, he was playing hobbled badly. He was very badly hobbled, but he has four turnovers. Mikey Berkman, three turnovers. Dordovic, two. Fop, two. Brett Kennedy, you know, and as, as you get down into here, it doesn't matter as much. But when you look at Dordovic's day, three of 15 shooting. You look at Owen Seabold's day, three of 12 shooting. That's just not good enough. Berkman was one of five. They they shot the ball poorly. They didn't get the ball on net. And that ends up being the, the big problem in this one. As we look at Albany, uh, let's see here. What else did I want to say? All right. Uh, yeah, we look at Albany here. Thomas Decker, three and one. Graydon Hogg, four and oh. Corey Yunker, oh and three. Albany got some scoring through their roster here. Everyone kind of contributed. And who was the pole that scored the two goals? Was that right here? No, he's a midfielder. So that wasn't him. I'm trying to think of who that pole was that scored those two goals for Albany. Either way, I, I screwed the pooch on that one. I should have looked it up because he stuck two long pole goals kind of early in the game. So that was that was pretty big here. So like I said, despite the fact that Fop, he didn't have a bad game, 18-30. So they win the possession battle there. Where they really lost this one, though, was Gavin. Not the best day, but not terrible. But, you know, Will Ramos had a very good day. 15 saves versus just 12 goals against. So Ramos kind of is the reason they won this close game in that way. But overall, Albany's defense deserves credit. Albany's offense got the job done with what they had to work with, which wasn't a lot. They were extremely efficient. And what this does to Syracuse here, Albany, like I said in the preview on Thursday, Albany, they had nothing. This game, 
it didn't really matter outside of being a huge morale booster because Albany, if they don't win the America East tournament, they're not getting into the tournament anyway. So nothing changed for Albany based on this game. They have to win their conference tournament to get into the NCAA tournament. Fact. Syracuse needed this win to try to keep their record closer to 500 because their last four-game stretch here is brutal. So, I mean, they pretty much have one chance of making the playoffs here, and I would I would say they pretty much have to win out. Now, they could go 3-1. and one. If they go 3-1 and one over the course of their last four games, that would put them at 500, and that would give them quality wins over three of those four teams that they have left, which includes Cornell, Carolina, Virginia, and... Notre Dame again. So does does a 500 record with losses to Albany, you know, like as you kind of look at Syracuse's schedule, I, d- I just don't know that 500 gets them in, albeit that would be 500 with a win over Duke and then a win, uh, you know, three wins over one of those three teams that they play to finish the season. So that might be good enough to get them in if they could finish the season that strong. To be sure to get in, they'd really need to win all four of those games. I think if Syracuse can win out, go 4-0 to end the season, they're in the tournament. Do I think that Syracuse is going to do that? No. just ba- And I'm not trying to be a, a dick, but just based on what they've looked like over the course of the last couple of games. against the, In the Duke game, you would have thought, holy shit, this team can beat anybody. Then they get trounced by Notre Dame. That looked terrible. If they had come back and beat Albany even by a goal, that wouldn't have looked bad. Then they would be, you know, two and three over their last three. Or, yeah, two and two, two and one over their last three. You know, with a win over Duke and a you know a decent win, I guess over Albany on the road at least. At least it would be credited as a road win. Um, and and instead they lose to Albany here. It it is just looking really bad for Syracuse and their playoff hopes. I I don't know that 500 would get in with with some of their losses. They have that bad loss to Notre Dame, and uh, depending on how they play out here, it, it you know the 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 ball is in their court. They could go four and zero. Finish the season strong and uh, and get into the tournament. I just don't think that's what's going to happen. So let's be done with that. That's painful, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. The game that I do want to talk about, a little bit of D3 action here. We have Union at RIT. Now, RIT, they bounced back from their first loss of the season to RPI with this one-goal win over an undefeated Union on Saturday afternoon. Union, they come into the game with an unblemished record with wins over 8 and 2 St. Lawrence and 7 and 2 Tufts. That Tufts win was excellent for for Union. I watched that one actually. Thank God that D3, that you know, most of these teams, especially the upper echelon teams all stream these games. The attack trio for Union of Hayden Frey, Peter Burns and Keaton McCann, they've been hard for teams to bottle up all season. They've been huge for this offense, that attack trio. They're four, they have 40 points, 37 points, and 32 points respectively, and each of the three are all legit goal-scoring threats. All of their stats are goal-heavy, but all of them have dishes to go with their, their decent goal totals. Burns, he was held to just two assists on the day, while Frey went one and three. Now, McCann, he goes for five goals off eight shots. That's a solid stat, but his buddies didn't put the goals up that they would normally put up, especially in a big game like this, and the outcome is a, a union loss. Now, uh, for RIT, team defense won the day for sure. They held Union to just 27 shots with only 19 of them being on cage. When your keeper only makes six saves, 
against 13 goals against, as the RIT keeper did in this one, you usually lose that game. But the Tigers' defense forced 14 turnovers, Taylor Jensen taking four of his own, and the defensive effort frustrated Union all day, especially that attack group. What made this defensive effort even more impressive is the fact that Union won 21 of 30 of the faceoff draws. Matthew Paolato, he won 14 of 17 for Union. So, But despite that possession disparity, RIT was able to get the stops on defense and then turn those stops into goals on their side. Both teams are now 10-1, and one, and both teams are now 2-1 and one in the Liberty Confer- Conference with RIT with the tiebreaker in this one. Uh, the con- a conference tournament rematch between these two teams would be dope. It, it's, it's likely... I'd say it's likely, but not so much so that we can count on it here because D3 is full of parity, a little bit more parity in D3 than D1 for sure. Uh, as we kind of go through the stats for him, though, just so these guys get their 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 props here, you see McCann, five goals off eight shots. Hayden Frey, one goal. So these guys here, Frey and um, uh, Burns, you can see they only put up six shots between the two of them. So RIT's defense did a great job of keeping these guys bottled up all game long. And then if we look at RIT's stats, um, Marley Angus, that is a dope name. Four goals, two helpers for him off just seven shots. A very productive day. Quinn Commandant, uh, or is it Commandant? I always forget. I think it's Commandant. I always forget how to pronounce that, though. We had a cat just make an appearance here. Uh, he goes three and one on the day. Dylan Bruno, two and one. Luke Pilcher, one and one. He's a little quiet here. And then as we look at the faceoffs, yeah, we see what uh, uh, Paolato did. And then uh, Byrne didn't do too bad in relief for him. So the, the faceoff duo did well for Union, but in the end, not good enough for them. Now, the next game that I want to talk about, this one. It wasn't close necessarily, but the Cavs defense, once again, I've I've been saying this for two, well, not two seasons, because I've been saying it in 2019 season, this was true. In the 2021 season, this was also true. Virginia's defense struggles early, but by the end of the season, these last two national championship seasons for them, their defense has been humming on all four cylinders, and that was the case here. The Cavs defense proved that they were 100% up to the task and they held Chris Gray and the UN, UN, uh, UNC offense to just four goals. I, I didn't see that coming at all. I thought UVA was going to win this game so long as Petey LaSala played, and he did, but I didn't see him, them winning in this fashion here. They UVA trailed 2-1 to one by the end of the first, but they'd score 10 of the game's next 12 goals to bury their rival. They, also beat, they already beat UNC 15-11. to 11 in their first meeting in March, but this was something much different, a, a, a dominant performance by this UVA defense. Petey LaSala, as I said, did play. He helped UVA win that possession battle at the dot. He went 10 of 18 at the dot overall. Cade Sawstead and Grayson Saladay each forced two turnovers. Eight of Carolina's 17 turnovers were forced by UVA. Freshman netminder Matthew Nunes, he makes 13 stops versus the four goals he gave uh, gave up and that factored heavily in frustrating UNC's offense. Not that they got a whole ton of looks, but when they did, Noons was there to make the save. And now with that, without Matt Moore also, I figured that Schellenberger would feast in this game, and that ended up not being the case. We end up seeing here Schellenberger ends up just going one and one off six shots, so he was not all that productive, and he turned the ball over three times. So he had an, an uncharacteristic day and did not play all that well overall. But Peyton Cormier luckily did. 
He ends up scoring four goals off nine shots. And then they got some depth in scoring here with Griffin Schutz, the freshman mid. He goes 2-0. Evan Zinn, the speedster transfer from Hopkins, he goes 2-0. We see Xander Dixon didn't get a goal, gets an assist. So it, it wasn't a typical day on offense for uh, for Virginia where, where Schellenberger – struggled a little bit to distribute as he normally does. Jeff Connor, midfielder. I think he's like a super senior midfielder. He steps up. He goes one and three. I got to sneeze. Maybe not. <laughs> oh, boy. That was a big one. We don't edit here, so you're just going to see that sneeze. Now I'm feeling brutalized here. Um, so, yeah, Jeff Connor had a great game. And that, that you can kind of say that, hey, if uh, if Connor didn't pick up the slack where Schellenberger wasn't able to for Matt Moore, Jeff Connor, he he had a great game here. Very productive, too. Although he did turn the ball over a little bit. But then again, I think he might have played a little attack. So he's not used to that. So in the end, you end up seeing what Virginia did. And like I said, I was really pleased to see Evans in. Bust out two goals here. Now, UNC was held back offensively all game long. They struggled to win one-on-one matchups. Uh, you know, Chris Gray's not the best Dodger in the country, although he's a, a very capable Dodger. But without some of that help, that greatly limits his game. So not only did UNC struggle to win those one-on-one matchups, which put them in a position to not really be able to get a whole lot of shots off, but... Beyond that, they only had one other goal scorer. You know, Gray scores three. Cole Hebert scores the only other Carolina goal. UNC took 31 shots, only 31 shots in the game, and only 17 of them were put on cage. So, so you know, that's not going to be good enough against a team like UVA. Now, Carolina, they're 7-4 and four on the season, but they dropped to 0-3 in the ACC. So if we're busting out some bracketology here, they've got a couple of quality wins, but if they can't pick up at least two more you know, two ACC wins, then they're they're in danger of maybe not even getting an at-large bid. As we kind of go in here and we we look at their schedule, Carolina's sitting here with a win over Richmond. That's a quality win. A win over Colgate, not terrible. The bad loss to Ohio State. They get a win over Brown. That looks good on the resume. Win over Hopkins is so-so. Win over Denver, so-so. That loss to Virginia by f- four goals, not great. Win over High Point, that's solid. Not a great win over Bellarmine here. They get spanked by Duke, and now they get spanked by Virginia. And they still have Syracuse, Notre Dame, and Duke left. If they if they go one and two over this stretch, if they lose to Notre Dame and they lose to Duke, even with that win over Syracuse, I don't think North Carolina gets into the tournament. I think we're legitimately dealing with a scenario here where we know Virginia is getting in. We have a, a good feeling that Duke is probably getting in. Uh, Notre Dame, the way they're playing right now, I think they probably get in as well. But these last three games are going to be as important as they ever have been for the ACC because we don't have the tournament. Not that it has an automatic qualifier even if we had the tournament, but it still looks good if you're able to progress to the finals, even in the ACC tournament, uh, and especially if you win it. They're not going to have that shot, that shot. So Carolina, I think, to be able to make the NCAA tournament, I think they need to go 2-1 and one over this final stretch. Now, I'm not saying they won't get in. I think if they go one and two, they've still got a shot, um, but they don't have the quality wins, I think, that some of these other teams may have. And if Syracuse is the team they beat in this one this stretch here, uh, I'm not sure that's good enough. I think they need to go two and one, pick up a win over either Notre Dame or Duke to get another quality win on the resume, and then maybe. Uh, and I think that it would be important to also not lose four in a row. I think it might be important to kind of win these next two, and then even that way, at least you break up that losing streak that they have right here. So we'll see how it goes, but it doesn't look great for Carolina, and they're going to pretty much have to win out to make sure they get the tournament. If they win out, I think there's a 99% chance they get in. If they go one and two, 
the chance is slim, but it's still there. If they go two and one, I think there's about an 80% chance that they get in. That's my like uh, off the hip bracketology here. All right. Next game I want to talk about Richmond at Jacksonville. SoCon game here. Now, Richmond took the game's first lead of the game, but after Jacksonville tied things up at ones, and then they take a 2-1 lead. Now, Richmond did tie it back up 2-2, and then Jacksonville took a 3-2 lead. Once Jacksonville got that lead, they didn't have to do much of anything other than just look over their shoulder at Richmond because Richmond didn't completely go away, and we'll see that as we kind of look at the, the box score here. But Jacksonville controlled this game for the most part. Now, as we look at the box scores, you can kind of see it's 5-2. Once it went 2-2, Jax opens it up to 5-2. They get back within two goals here. Jax scores again. So once again, just like Albany and Syracuse, the score went a lot like that, where every time uh, Richmond would ring the bell, Jacksonville was there to answer. Now, Jacksonville did give up a five-goal uh, you know, kind of run to end the game between the uh, uh, a time-expiring goal by Dalton Young to end the third, and then they, they didn't, Jacksonville didn't score in the fourth and gave up four goals to Richmond to let them get back in this one. They were up 13 to six at one point before giving up that four goal run and it ends up being 13, 11. So it wasn't quite as close as it looked because they were still down by three goals with, uh, with a minute 30 left. They scored that goal with a minute 27 left to put it within two. So Richmond, Jacksonville did control this game and win it. I actually turned it off at one point, I think uh, a little bit into the third thinking, okay, there's some other games that I wanted to watch, some of the Ivy League games. Uh, but anyway, for Jacksonville, let's get back to here. Um, for Jacksonville, clearing and man up played a big role in this game. They cleared the ball a perfect 19 of 19. I think Richmond only failed on one clear. But the fact that Jacksonville was able to clear the ball perfectly, that helped because they needed every possession to help stave off that Richmond rally at the end of the game. They were 2 of 4 on the man up, and Richmond was 0-4. So both of those those uh, those stats ended up factoring heavily in the outcome of this game. Jacksonville as a team, all season long, I've said this numerous times, they have been an excellent defensive team all year long. Richmond was flustered into 19 turnovers on the day, 10 in the first half, 9 in the second, and 15 of those turnovers were forced by Jacksonville players, at least the way they keep their stats. Jacksonville ranks 7th in the nation, defensively they're only giving up nine goals and change a game they're actually ahead of maryland defensively in terms of the the uh their out their goal again goal per game and uh, maryland who sits at eight and then in terms of ranked teams uh, i think georgetown's ahead of them i think there's some unranked teams ahead and you know in the middle there and then they're the second ranked ranked team in the country defensively i believe if i'm if i'm right on that what makes this defense so good though is that they play well off ball and they get back and they limit transition. Limiting trend, you can't say enough about limiting transition looks to teams, and they've been doing that all year. They get back on defense, they match up, they find one, as you would yell, find one, find one, make sure that every defender is matched up with somebody, and they do an incredible job of that while also getting getting mixed up and getting transition on their side. Hinton, Heed, and Garrity, they each forced three turnovers on the day for Jacksonville. Tyler Corpora, he gave Jacks uh, the offensive lift they needed. He went four and one on the day. He had eight he was eight and six coming into this game. He goes four and one season high. I think he had two other games where he was two and one. Uh, you know, overall, he's a transfer from Hartford. I believe the kid's a super senior from Hartford. Started 16 games for Hartford, I saw. Uh, Luke Milliken, he makes 10 stops with six coming in the second quarter. Those were huge because that's when Jacksonville started to separate. You see here, Jacksonville outscores Richmond 5-2 
over that second quarter. Those six saves are the reason that score was 5-2, played huge, Milliken did, in that second quarter. And then he had three stops in the fourth quarter as Richmond. And you see here, three stops in the fourth quarter were important because they scored four goals, and uh, that ends up being the big difference. So, I mean, he was 50% on the day, 10 saves versus 10 goals against, but he was good when they needed him to be, and that factors heavily. And in the end, this is a huge win. Huge win for Jacksonville, but I say but because winning the conference tournament still has to be the number one priority for both of these teams. For Richmond, it's like, hey, they lost. They dropped to 6-4. and four. They wish they didn't, but ja- and Jacksonville improves to 10-2. and two. But when you look at Jacksonville's schedule overall, uh, I believe that they, once again, they still probably need to, to win this tournament. You see here, they've got the loss to Hopkins, a win over Duke. That, those are both excellent Win over Mercer, win over Marquette, eh. Win over Denver, quality win, especially they, they're, they're hoping Denver wins out here and pl- plays well to end the season, which Denver got a win over Villanova uh, here this week, so that was big because the better that Denver ends up being, then the more quality that win looks for them. Win over Air, Air Force, but then they have this loss to Utah. That loss to Utah is going to hurt them as, as the committee sits down to try to figure out if, if Jacksonville doesn't win the conference tournament, that would end up hurting them. Uh, and then, you know, see, these two wins don't help them at all. That win doesn't help them. The win over High Point does, and this win over Richmond does. But like I said, there's no more quality wins to be had here. Uh, for Jacksonville, so they really kind of have to win that tournament to guarantee themselves that spot. They need that AQ because I'm just not sure that they get an at-large. Now, the, the key for them for getting an at-large is if UNC eats shit and only goes one and two to finish the season, they probably don't get an at-large. There's an at-large available. The Big Ten, similarly, it looks like the Big Ten here You know that Maryland's getting in, and then it's between Rutgers and Ohio State. One of them are going to get an at-large bid. Could the Big Ten be a three-bid lead league? If they're not, Jacksonville could probably get an at-large, but if the Big Ten ends up being a three-bid league, then they don't get that either. So, uh, Because the Ivies are going to eat up a bunch of these AQs as well. The Ivies could send three or four teams, and so there's not a whole lot of of at-large bids to go around, so Jacksonville doesn't want to rely on that. So once again, this game is great. But the the focus has to be winning that conference tournament for them still. Next game I wanted to talk about here was Penn and Brown. Now, Penn jumps out to a five-zip lead here, as we see, before giving up three straight to Brown. Brown gets it back to 5-3 before Cam Rubin makes it 6-3 Penn. And then Brown goes on a four-goal run to take the lead by a goal. And then from there... They end up winning out. It does go back and forth quite a bit, but Brown ends up getting that edge. It was that third quarter here, the stretch here where Devin McLean scored two goals in the third about midway through to give them back a one-goal lead and then take a two-goal lead, and then Brown led through the rest of this game. As we look at the individual stats for Brown, Devin McLean, once again here, man, off-ball wonder. He, he reminds me a lot of uh, Braid Maia for, for High Point. I think they have a very similar style. I think they, they both carry their stick funny, and they actually both look like they could be big dodging threats, but primarily I think that McLean's a little more versed in dodging than Maia is, but they, I don't know, there's something about the way they play off-ball that I like for both of these guys. But you see, he ends up with four goals. Ryan O'Gavin, he goes two and two. I, man, these guys got some names here. Reed uh, Moished or Moishetti, 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 two and two. However the hell you pronounce that. Antonelli, you know, moral of the story. Brown, they got some scoring here up and down their roster, and then they lose the faceoff battle here. 
uh, Jamie Zuzi, he goes 13 to 24 for Penn, but it doesn't matter. Sam Hanley won a two off 10 shots. That's a rough outing. And you see here, uh, Gergar and Hanley combined for four goals off 22 shots. That's not necessarily good enough. And then Cam Rubin, same thing, didn't shoot the rock incredibly well. And that, that, that ends up being the, the ball game for Penn. Uh, if we look at the goalie battle, Patrick Birkinshaw, 17 saves versus 12 goals against for Penn, and he still gets the L because Connor Theralt play makes 13 saves off 10 goals against. Boom. He gets, you know, but still, Patrick Birkinshaw played a hell of a game in cage in that loss, but it's Theralt that ends up getting the win. What else we got here? Did uh, did any Brown defenders force like obscene amounts of turnovers? No. Just an overall, and, and I watched a tad bit of this game. It was not all that exciting, and I ended up, I forget what I ended up watching instead. Uh, the big game that I wanted to watch yesterday was Virginia-UNC, and even that kind of ended up being a big stinker. So in the end, Brown comes away with the win, and now Brown sitting at 6-4. and four. Penn is struggling here. Penn at number eight in the country at 4-4, four and four, uh, but 1-3 and three in the Ivy. The Ivy is they're just massacring each other. They're going to absolutely cannibalize each other, and, but it, it is just going to be fun to watch as we get down into the conference tournament. And man, is that conference turn- tournament going to be something to behold. Uh, another game here. And and what I will say about this is nobody in the country right now over the course of the last couple of games is playing as well offensively as Yale. Outside of Notre Dame, Notre Dame hasn't put up the the point volume that Yale has, but Notre Dame has been playing incredibly well offensively in terms of their efficiency. Yale's just putting putting points up all willy-nilly here. They put up 20-plus against, I think, what, Boston U in their previous game, and now 23 against Dartmouth. And Dartmouth's not terrible. Dartmouth is a, is a solid team, and they've played some tough games in the Ivy. And uh, but no, not not on this day against Yale. Yale jumps out to a 10-3 halftime lead. It was close at the end of the first quarter, two up, and then this second and third quarter here for Yale, they put up eight goals in the second, nine goals in the third, and that is all she wrote. You see this run here of seven. What is this? This is a eight goal run. One four. Eight goal run here between uh, over the course of the second period. That was just insane. And then you see this run here over the course of the third. Just bonkers. Yeah, just what they've been doing is absolutely bonkers offensively and defensively as well. But if we look at Yale here, Matt Brandau three, and it and it just goes deep. Brandau three and three. Leo Johnson one and three. Tevlin uh, two and one. Lions two and one. Bragg three and zero. Oh. And I mean they're they're doing this all on very few shots. As you look at the efficiency here in this game, and they did the same thing against Boston U. Dudes are putting balls on cage and they're putting them past keepers. So that's been huge for Yale. And then uh, Bryce DeMuth, he ends up with three cause turnovers. And in the goalie battle, Paquette, Jared Paquette, young goalie for Yale, he ends up with 10 saves versus five goals against. And you look at Daniel Hinks, he had a rough outing. Six saves against 19 goals against. That is not going to be good enough to get anything done. He gets pulled late in the third, and then Morrill comes in. Does, has has a little bit more success, but I'm sure at that point it was mop-up duty against Yale's bench. I hate Ohio State's box scores. They stink, and Hopkins didn't have theirs up yet. So I'm not going to be able to really cover this one in in great detail. I did watch a bunch of it, but once again, I'm stupid, and I watch a bunch of games at the same time, and I don't know what's going on. So Hopkins down 6-4 at the half. They actually end up getting things tied back up again. Or no, down down 6-5 at the half. They end up with the lead at the end of the third, and then Ohio State outscores them 4-1 over the course of the fourth quarter to win this game. As we look at the statistics, pretty damn close 
across the board here. Ohio State just has a slight edge in shots and ground balls. Uh, Hopkins, Kersan played tough in this game. He ends up with 10 saves against those 12 goals against though, and that, that's going to be the difference here. Uh, so that hurt them a little bit. Hopkins turned the ball over a few more times. So as we kind of look at it, that's, that's not very good. Ohio State scoring-wise, Jack Myers goes 1-4, Kobe Smith 1-1, one and, one, and Jackson Reed 5-1. Jackson Reed had at least two what I'd call highlight goals, one of them a beautiful backhand on the crease. He ended up shooting the ball well. And in t- uh, Cage here, Skylar Wallen, he ends up playing pretty tough, and he gets the W in Cage, eight saves against, ten goals against. Um, you know, so he, I think that's his first start of the year. Maybe it's his second start of the year. I want to say it was his first. I can't remember now though, but he ends up playing tough. So Ohio state gets the win over Hopkins. It was much needed. If we look at what Ohio state has left here. Nope. I don't want to look at that. I want to look at this. You know, once again, we talk about at large bids, what's Ohio state's resume look like, you know, yawn at these two wins, big win, big statement win, in fact, over North Carolina, a good quality uh, win over Harvard. They lose to Cornell. They beat Notre Dame. There's another quality win. They end up losing to Denver. And depending on how Denver finishes up, that could hurt the resume a little bit. Win over Dartmouth. Nobody cares. That loss to Rutgers. Win over Penn State. Win over Hopkins. So these last two games are going to be huge. I think that if Ohio State wants to pretty much solidify an at-large bid, they've got to win out. They've got to beat Maryland and Michigan. I think if they lose to Maryland and beat Michigan, eh, they could still get that at-large bid depending on how they fare in the tournament and what wins they could pick up in the tournament. Uh, but if they end up losing both of these games, it's it's over. Uh, Ohio State won't make the tournament if they don't finish at least one and one. Uh, but getting a quality win over Maryland now would go a long way towards getting them an at-large bid. And I, I think they end up getting in. Uh, even if they go one and one here, I think if they could pick up a Big Ten tournament win, then I think that's probably good enough because that win over Carolina is not bad. The win over Notre Dame's good. That win over Harvard's good. It just depends on how some of these teams finish their seasons. Because, I mean, if if Denver loses out here and Denver ends up below 500, that loss looks a lot worse here. Um, if Harvard doesn't do, continue to do well and win more games, that win isn't as good here. So, you know, they, they especially with Carolina, same thing. Carolina ends up, you know, eight and six. That win doesn't look quite as good overall for them, uh, for, for Ohio State. So they're kind of relying on some of the teams that they've beat to continue to do, to do well. So those wins continue to be factored heavily in terms of RPI and just strength of schedule overall. But uh, So even though I do think they get in, they have some work to do still, and it's going to be up to the gods if they don't win the Big Ten tournament here. Next game. I wanted to talk about was UMass, number 20 UMass, playing Towson. And Towson is a team that has improved greatly uh, compared to what they've done over the last couple of full seasons. Uh, they, they improve, I think this is their improved record, to 5-6, and six, but they end up pulling out that 12-9 win. Now, they end up having the lead 6-4 at the half. They outscore them over the third as well to kind of continue to push that cushion, and then they exchange goals over the, fourth, uh, over the course of the fourth quarter. In terms of player stats for Towson, James Evansato, baby. Three goals, two helpers off eight shots with just one turnover. So he has a hell of a game, as does Kyle Berkeley. He goes 3-1 and one on the day. In terms of the goalie battle here, Towson goalie Shane Brennan makes 16 stops versus just nine goals against. And you can kind of say that ends up being the big mitigating factor in this game. Note played decent for UMass, but Shane Brennan wins the goalie battle and Towson ends up winning this uh, close game. And that comes with losing faceoffs 
at a considerable rate. They only go 10 to 23 in terms of that possession battle at the dot, but they still win the game because their goalkeeper had a better game. Our goalie played better than your goalie, and they end up winning. So hell of a job by Towson. They beat a very good UMass team, and UMass has been a little bit streaky here so far. Another game, and this is important for a lot of teams, but important, more important for Denver than anybody else. Denver ends up pulling out a two-goal win over Villanova. They end up down at the half, seven to six, but that fourth goal, four-goal three-quarter, they outscore Villanova four to one over the third to take the lead back. They exchange goals in the, over the course of the fourth quarter. And when I say exchange goals, I mean, hey, it is 10-8 Denver to go into the fourth. Villanova gets within a goal. Jack Hanna answers back to make it 11-9 and assisted by Ted Sullivan. And then once again, minute 10 left, Villanova scores again to make it 11-10. And then Alex Stathakis literally scores off the opening, off the next faceoff, you know, what, 15 seconds later to make it 12-10 again. And that is the ball game. So as we get into the statistics of this one here, Jack Hanna shooting the ball well in this game. Three goals off just five shots with just a single turnover. Silstrap, one and two. Uh, not a ton of, of, of quality point totals here, but we've got a bunch of guys that put up at least a goal in this one, and that's the kind of production Denver needs because their big cats have not been very consistent overall in putting up points. So getting some scoring from the depth on their roster is key here. In terms of cause turnovers, did anyone do great? Nope. A.J. Mercurio, he goes for two cause turnovers. Jack Hanna forces one. Bunch of guys ended up forcing turnovers on the day. Goalie battle. Jack Thompson, 15 saves. The, the goalie situation at Denver has been rough over the last few years. Thompson ends up owning this game, though. 15 saves versus just 10 goals against. He wins the goalie battle. Will Vuitton for um, Villanova, 10 saves versus 12 goals against. Not good enough. Thompson has more saves. Our goalie played better than your goalie, and they end up winning this game. Also key here, though, is uh, surprisingly, Denver gets waxed at the faceoff dot. Uh, Justin Coppola, uh, Coppola goes 17-26 to against Stathakis. So Stathakis, you know, a very solid faceoff guy. He struggled on this day, but Denver is still able to pull out the win. Another one, another game to talk about here. Uh, Loyola, why didn't I go to the box score for this one? I'm not sure, but we're going to go to the box score. Loyola put it on Navy here. They are up 12-3 to at the half. They roll through the third quarter to take an even more commanding lead, and they win this game 18-7. to As we look at factors that, uh, that kind of cause this, we see down here, Loyola wins 18 of 28 draws with who's the, oh it is Bailey Savio takes the bulk of them goes 15 to 24. So big day for Bailey Savio. And then in terms of scoring, Aiden Olmstead. That's what you want to see out of Aiden Olmstead. He goes three and four uh, off nine shots. A huge productive day. Just a turnover there. Evan James, four and one. Kevin Lindley, three and one. Adam Poitras, three and one. So they get scoring from the top of their roster in a big way. And they end up burying Navy in this one. Let's see. Anyone good with cost turnovers? Nothing huge here. And like I said, we come, or I didn't say anything yet about these goalies here, but Sam Schaefer, excellent game between the pipes, nine saves against six goals against. He's been a little bit streaky, but has been playing well as of late. Let's see that specifically to see if I'm actually right about that. Um, saves, where's the save percentage here, folks? Shots on goal. We don't have a save percentage in this stat here. Oh, here we go. Goalkeeping statistics. Yeah, so you see last two games here. 66% against Holy Cross, 60% against Navy. He has a, a rough one against Army, 
Uh, but then he has a really good game against Bucknell the game before that. So you can see he's he's been much more consistent over the second half of the season so far compared to what he was over the first half of the season here. But then again, in this game, he's playing Maryland, he's playing Rutgers, so a pretty tough outing. But he didn't have great days even against some bad teams. But uh, since that Bucknell game, he's been much more solid and been hang- he's only been below 50% once over the last four games. So And in the end, though, great win for Loyola. They are now what five and five, but four and one in the Patriot League. More importantly, they did not play incredibly great lacrosse to start the season out. Uh, but once again, Loyola is a team they need to win their conference tournament. You see, lost to Maryland that doesn't look too bad, but a loss to Hopkins, lost to Rutgers, that loss to Towson is going to look really bad for them in terms of at large. Barely beat Lafayette, but then they get that big win over Duke. This was kind of a season changer right here. They beat Duke twelve ten. On the road, nope, at home, they end up beating Bucknell at home, 13-9, both quality wins. They lose to Army at home, but then they beat up on Holy Cross, and now they beat up on Navy, and I mean, they've got some quality teams left here. They've got Boston U, who's going to be a tough game, Georgetown's a tough game, Colgate and Lehigh should both be tough games. So I like, you know, as long as they stay above 500. I, you know, I, I don't even think. I, I think that if they win out, they end up with an at. Uh, they could get an at large if they didn't win their tournament. But I think other than that, Loyola is pretty much going to have to win their tournament to get in. I don't see them picking up an at large. They've just got bad losses here. That's not a terrible loss, but that one is. You know, and then the score on this one doesn't look great. That doesn't look great. So yeah, if we're playing bracketology here, I think Loyola pretty much needs to win their conference. They could go undefeated if they went if they ran the table on the schedule. They could probably get an at large bid because the the wins over Bucknell, that big win over Navy. If they got a win over Georgetown and Boston U in that mix, that would probably go a long way. But I'm all these teams pretty much none of them want to count on an at large. They all want to win their conference tournament. And right now they're faring well against the competition within the Patriot League. Another game, Cornell and Harvard. This one wasn't close. Cornell, you know, it was close at the end of the first quarter, 6-0 in the second in favor of Cornell, and that is the ball game pretty much. That's the spread. Cornell beat him 5-4 in the third and 5-4 in the fourth as well. Uh, So it's kind of the slow burn to a big victory. Uh, If we look at the Cornell statistics, because we're not going to look at the losing team statistics here right now, Michael Long, 3 of 4, he had a great game. I watched a little bit of this one. Uh, Fed well from behind. CJ Kirst, 3 and 3. John Piatelli, 4 and 0. John John Piatelli moved into 10th all-time scoring, I believe, for Cornell as part of this game. So great outing. Goalie battle. Chase Erland wins the goalie battle. 10 saves against 7 goals against versus Kyle Mullen, who struggled a little bit. But he ended up playing a little bit better here as the game wore on. He struggled early here, especially over that second quarter. Had a very hard time making saves. That first quarter was an absolute saves bonanza. If we look at the first quarter here, you look at the goalie saves in the first quarter. Mullen had seven in the first quarter, and Erlen had four. And then they cooled down a little bit through the rest of the game, especially Mullen did compared to the number of shots that Cornell took on him. So it was, a, it was pretty much a goalie clinic early in the game before things kind of fell apart for Harvard and Cornell rolled. Another solid game here, Colgate. Now listen, Colgate is a solid 2-8 and eight team. Don't let that record fool you. They've played some tough lacrosse, and they've been in a bunch of close games here. Army does eke out the win close at the half, 7-2-6, 3-2 in the third quarter, and that's that two-goal margin right there. 
for Army. Let's see what Army's usual suspects did. Brendan Nick turn as usual, three and three off seven shots. Very efficient game with just two turnovers, but he got one of them back, forced to turnover. Bobby Abshire, three, three, uh, three and two. Jacob Morin, three and one. Paul Johnson, one and one. They get scoring. Not a ton of goal scoring through their roster, and not a ton of scoring. Only five guys put up a point, actually, so that's surprising. But uh, Will Coletti, he wins 16 to 27 of these draws. That factors heavily. And then Wyatt Schupler, he ends up with. Uh, you know, 500 between the pipes, 11 saves versus 11 goals against. Both goalies actually played solid. Matt Lacombe for Colgate ended up with 13 saves. Both goalies were 50% between the pipes, so that's good. But Army picks up a big win, and now they're 5-1 and one in the Patriots. So really, the, the teams that are running the Patriot right now, uh, Loyola and Army. And Boston U is playing pretty tough as well. As we look in here, isn't Boston U in the Patriot, or am I just talking insane crap and I'm wrong? Nope, they're in the Patriots. Yeah, Boston U is actually leading the Patriots. So we look at the Patriots standings right now. Boston U is undefeated. Army is 5-1. and one, And, oh, wow, Lehigh and Loyola both are 4-0 and oh and 4-1 and one respectively. So the Patriot League, kind of uh, brutal. And they're going to eat each – they're going to cannibalize each other a little bit as well. But anyway, this one – not all that close. You know, bought Princeton kind of scored, got a lead, kind of kept that lead. Boston U did decent. Chris Brown, seven helpers. That's insane. He took seven shots, couldn't net any of them, but he helped his friends quite a bit with seven assists. Coulter Mackesy. I've been calling him Maxey, but in the broadcast, and it was a Princeton home game, they were calling him Mackesy. So I'm going with Mackesy now. Three and one. Alex Slusher, two and oh. Jake Stevens, two and oh. So uh, Princeton. They get some scoring here. Eric Peters, who has been incredible in cage all year for Princeton, All-American caliber right now, 14 saves against just seven goals against. He wins the goalie battle. They end up winning the game. We have a face-off battle between Calderon and Sandoval that is won by Calderon by just a, sh- a smidge. He wins one more face-off than Sandoval, but uh, in the end, it doesn't matter for Boston U, and they lose the game. UMass Lowell and Vermont. I only wanted to cover this one because Vermont spanked UMass Lowell, McCormick, he ends up five and three. Lamogues ends up four and three. McConvey three and two in that game. Mostly though, I wanted to see how our boy Tommy Burke did. Twenty-one of twenty-six draws, he wins eighty percent of the draws, and they end up beating UMass Lowell's ass twenty-three to nine. So that's key for Vermont. Vermont once again. America East teams get into the America East tournament when the tournament you get in there's only going to be one bid from the America East and it's going to be the team that wins the automatic qualifier so for Vermont even though they've struggled this was a rough three-game stretch for them here losing to Dartmouth Providence and UMass but they've won four straight against some subpar opponents here but they've been putting it on them at least is key and now they've got Albany Binghamton and Stony Brook three of the top teams in the America East they now have to finish the season with although Albany got butts you know Albany beat Syracuse and then got butt hurt by uh, uh, UMass, or not UMass, by uh, UMBC on uh, Saturday as well, off short rest. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Drexel, Drexel, Drexel and Fairfield, I figured I'd talk about it because it was a 19-8 score. Buttload of scoring here in this one. I just wanted to see what kind of point totals dudes put up. Uh, Mulcahy ends up 2-5. and five. For Drexel, Max Semple goes six and zero. Aiden Cole four and two. Just a buttload of scoring here in this game. Had to be a, in, a pretty pretty interesting from a goalie perspective. Both goalies just got shellacked uh, here, but you know the the Drexel goalies fared a little bit better in terms of their save percentage, and then they win this game. And then the faceoff battle was fairly even with Rosado for Drexel winning the bulk of them. He wins thirteen to twenty two, and that's the ball game there. And uh, games for today. 
We end up with Lehigh uh, playing Bucknell today. That should be an interesting matchup. And then Maryland at Rutgers, or Rutgers at Maryland. This is the big one. 7 o'clock Big Ten action here tonight. So that's the one I will be sitting on the couch as uh, just before we put the kids to bed to watch a, you know, a little bit of that game. I don't know if I'll get through the full game because From, the season finale of From is on tonight. I don't know if you've been watching From, but it is an incredible show. Uh, you should watch it if you haven't been. But all right. I've been rambling now for 46 minutes, so I'm going to shut the hell up and let you guys out of here. Thursday, if I don't put the show out in the morning, I will live stream it Thursday evening. And uh, that's it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out.